I'm so used to talking about the series and the ministry of Jesus, but we came to a conclusion of that series last week, and we are doing a one-month series. Uh, the preaching community was just like, let's have fun for a month, and so we're going to be preaching through misquoted, misunderstood, cherry-picked verses in the Bible. Uh, so I am excited. I am starting us off this week. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, by the way, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. Um, and so this week we're starting off. Wow, thank you. I got it. As my daughters did the other week. <laughs> um, I'm going to be talking about a lukewarm church today from Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22. Uh, you should... <laughs> You should have the passage on your service sheet where you can follow along. I've, now, if you, if you grew up in church like myself, you have heard this verse passage preached about a thousand times. I preached about it a few times and said, there's a bunch of lukewarm Christians in this building today. And guess what? God is going to vomit you out of his mouth if you continue. He would rather you be cold Come on. Rather you be cold, or rather you be on fire than some lukewarm Christian. And if you are today sitting in between two worlds, there's one thing God promises. He will spit. Turn to your neighbor and say, he will spit. <laughs> and so I preached it. But let me tell you, I was always confused, even while I was preaching it sometimes. Why would God rather me be cold and not care about him at all than be struggling lukewarm? And it wasn't until I read this little-known thing called a commentary that I realized, oh, I've had it all wrong. <laughs> God would not rather me be a cold Christian. And so we're going to read today and figure out what is Jesus actually saying here? Because this is Jesus talking in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22. Let's read together. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, and this is Jesus telling John what to write to this church, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Amen. The word of the Lord. 
So I just want to start off by saying it is important what Jesus is saying here. There are seven churches in Revelation where Jesus has a word. He kind of writes his own letter as we see the epistles of Paul and John to the different churches. And Peter, Jesus has his letters to the church. And so he, he starts off saying who he is. And it kind of, I want to just intro us here with understanding the weight of who Jesus is and what he is about to say. He says that first off, he is the amen. Oof, that is good which basically means he is the guarantee of all covenantal promises. He is the one that guarantees everything in the Bible. When we say yes and amen, when we say amen, we are invoking Jesus because we can only say this is true because of who Jesus is. So he is the ultimate amen. He is saying every promise, everything you see in scripture is fulfilled in me. I am the amen. And so he starts off giving that title. Then he says he is the faithful and true witness. Everything he is about to bring against them, what he is about to say to the church, is only pure truth. When we talk about witness in scripture, this is what you got to think about a witness that goes on the stand in a trial. And what does a witness do when they go on a stand? They are able to say they can be a character witness. They were eyewitnesses of the events. He is saying, I am the true witness. I am the faithful witness. In the Ten Commandments, it says, do not bear false witness. Jesus, what he is about to say about them, what he is about to charge against them, he is saying is, I have seen it. I see it now, and I bear witness. I am faithful in my witness to you. And so this is true. It is trustworthy. Jesus has seen it with his own eyes. And then he says he is the beginning of creation. This is this alludes to Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 18. The one by whom all things hold together and exist is saying this. He is reminding them the whole world exists and holds together because of me. And so imagine that. Imagine those titles. I mean, you get in front of somebody and they PhD from here, master's from here, doctorate from here, all these things. You think, wow. But this, I mean, this title is just, this is, you know, to, the cherry on top is I created everything and everything holds together. And so I want you to just understand that as we read this, as Jesus says this, as we go through this, the weight, the gravity of what is coming to the, to the church in Laodicea, of what Jesus is saying. See, the first point that he is making is that our, that, and that I want us to understand from this is, is that we often make this connection that our natural reality is a, a parallel with our spiritual reality. But Jesus is making this point that their natural reality is actually very different from the spiritual reality of this church in Laodicea. That in to the naked eye, the church in Laodicea is doing really good. To them, they think, oh man, we have everything all together. Everything is going well. Maybe they were the envy of other churches that weren't doing as well, in the area, this church, they had all the money. They were wealthy. They were prosperous. 
In fact, the entire city was wealthy and prosperous. When I read about Laodicea, it reminded me a lot about New York City. And that's why I love this verse even more. Because this city, it was, it's in modern-day Turkey, in Asia Minor. And it was known for three things. It was the banking and trading center uh, in that region. I don't know any familiarities there with New York City. And so, therefore, it was very wealthy. You know, if you were trading, you were going through that city to go to all the other cities. It had a very secure banking system where a lot of the wealthy people, that's where they put their money. They also had world-famous textile industry. They made this black wool that was world-famous that was traded to all the different parts of the Roman Empire and even beyond. And they also had a famous medical school and science community. And one of the things that that community had produced and that Laodicea people would travel to get was this special eye salve. So if you were dealing with eye problems or blindness, you would go to that city or get the salve from that city that you would apply to your eyes to hopefully get healed from it. And the church themselves, Jesus says, described themselves as three things, rich, prosperous, and needing nothing, literally needing nothing. So they had everything that they would think was needed. Yet Jesus describes them with these words. And, you know, we, we were reading through Jesus, and so we know there's nothing like a clap back from Jesus as he talks to the Pharisees. And so when, when Jesus says, you describe yourself like this, I describe you like this. What are the words he gives? Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Mm. See, we often equate our material blessings with a sign of our spiritual maturity. This is nothing new. This has been going on since Jesus was teaching his disciples. And oftentimes when we look at our material blessing, when we have everything that we think we need, we think, man, I am doing well spiritually as well because our understanding of blessing, if God has blessed me, is that I don't sit in need or want or my life is easy, it's not hard. In any way. But Jesus knows our spiritual condition. See, we cannot fool him, our hearts. We may, in fact, fool ourselves, as it seems like the church in Laodicea was doing, fooling themselves, thinking we have everything, we don't need anything. One of the most dangerous words that we could ever say is, I need nothing. Because Jesus looks at their spiritual condition and says, You are vastly off on how you view yourself and see your own need. Because when you look at yourself, you see your richness, you see prosperous, and you think, man, I have, I, I have every material need. I, I am in need of nothing. But when I look at you, I see the exact opposite. Wretchedness, pitiableness, poverty, blindness, and nakedness. With all they had, Jesus was saying, they were spiritually useless. And how does he say this? He says they were neither cold nor hot. See, the thing about Laodicea is it stood in the middle of these two cities. 
One city was Colossae, that city most of us know because of the epistle of Colossians that Paul wrote to that city. And Colossians was known for its cold mineral water, spring water that came from the mountains. And it was incredibly refreshing drinking water. It was, you know, it's kind of when you see Poland Springs or they, they try to say all oh, this comes from the, 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 the fountains of Maine and it's the purest mineral water. You know, it's a bunch of garbage, but they're probably just filling up New York City tap water. <laughs> but, but Colossae had this beautiful drinking water that was... That was what made that city useful. It was what people went to them for. They had this, 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 uh, this great natural resource there. And then they were, then you have Laodicea, and then you have this other city right next to them, Heropolis, that was known for its hot springs. And so their hot springs, people would go there because, I don't, you know, still to this day when, when we went to Ecuador, you have the volcanic water and they say it's supposed to have that healing property to it. Well, it was the same thing. In this city, they, they would say that the waters would have that healing property. And it does. If you scientifically, that hot water is good for you. It can do a lot of great things for your body. And so people would go from far and wide to go to the hot springs to hopefully heal their ailments. And so there were spiritual connotations to this too that I think are being referred to. That in Colossae, you get this kind of refreshingness. Their water is great. It tastes good. When you drink it, it's going to quench your thirst. When you, when you go to Heropolis, you get this, this healing properties there. But what would happen, what was really interesting, is both those streams would flow down and they would end up in Laodicea. And when the cold natural spring water would intertwine with the hot spring water, it would create this lukewarm water that when you drink it, it was putrid. And if you drank too much, you would actually vomit. History is an amazing thing. And so this lukewarm water, Jesus is connecting the church in Laodicea, their spiritual plight, their spiritual usefulness to the water that was in their town. And he's saying, no, no, you're not rich and prosperous and need nothing like everybody around. You're actually like the lukewarm water. That if I drink you, if I, if I come and I sit with you, that it is disgusting, your spiritual condition. That I will actually vomit if I stay with you too long or if anybody would drink from the well that you have been drinking. Your spiritual condition is one that would in induce someone to expel what has been put in. The body would reject it for it would be harmful to you. And I wanna think about Matthew chapter five, verse, verse 13, what, what Jesus says about the church that lost its saltiness. He says, you, he says this to the church, to his people, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. And this is the word to Laodicea. And they have lost their spiritual usefulness. They have, the, the waters, their spiritual condition is good for nothing in their city. They have lost their saltiness. Their spiritual condition was like their water. It was useless and it was putrid. 
But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he offers a remedy. See, church, what we need to understand is, is some of us may be in that place where we have a terrible spiritual condition. Now, the truth is some of us may know and some of us may not know. And we'll get into how do we know if we are in that place where we don't know? Like, how do we see our blindness? Because if we have a blind spot, obviously we don't see it. There's a couple of ways to tell. But the thing about our spiritual brokenness is that all we need to fix it is Jesus. See, all we need to do to fix our spiritual condition is come to Jesus. Everything we thought we could do with our own hands, everything that we thought we could achieve on our own, our prosperous and rich demeanors, our life of no need and no want, our life of restfulness as Laodicea thought they could do with their own ingenuity, with their own hands, truly the only person that can actually do that for us is Christ. And I want you to see how Jesus brings them in because it is one of the most remarkable things. Every time I read the scripture and you read about what is happening here, it blows me away the depth of what Jesus says and the layers of context. See, he says, you want wealth, you think you're rich? Only he offers true gold. Right As their banking and trading system, they had a lot of currency flowing in and out, in and out. But he says, if you want true wealth, come and buy from me because my gold is refined by fire. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, he describes what, what is true gold in the kingdom. Peter says this, in this you rejoice though. Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter equates with gold and actually says is better than gold is genuineness of your faith or faithfulness and obedience to God. So Jesus says, you want real gold? You want something of substance in your life. Trials are going to come. Tribulation is going to come. Hardship is going to come. I always love repeating this over and over. Hardship in your life, suffering in your life, Pain in your life is not a sign that God has left you. It is the very place oftentimes that we meet Jesus. It is not a sign of the wilderness of spiritual depravity. It is a sign that God is working out faithfulness in you. It is not something that we run from. It is something that we embrace and say, Jesus, make me more like you who went to the cross, who suffered it all, who drank the cup of wrath. And when the disciples said, I want to be at your right and your left hand, he said, I will give you this cup to drink with me. Jesus again offers the church, here is true gold, faithfulness, obedience in trials. This is what is more precious than your wealth and life. 
This is more precious than your bank account numbers. This is more precious than your pay stub. This is more precious than your titles. This is more precious. Great in the kingdom is the one who is faithful to the end. He calls them naked. We may find ourselves naked, but what does Jesus offer? The garments of Christ are offered us at salvation, our righteousness and sanctification. What is the, the layers here is they were famous for their black wool. And so what is Jesus says? He says, you're naked and I will put on you the white garments. He is constantly contrasting and saying, what you have is garbage, but what I have is the true thing that you should want. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, it says, It was granted to the church, to her, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. When we come to Jesus, we are offered true good works by the power of his Holy Spirit. When we give our lives to him, true righteousness we are clothed with something that is precious. Paul equates his personal righteousness to filthy rags. When we go before God and we say, look at all my good deeds that I have done, it is meaningless, it is nothing. We may go in the finest clothing, we may go in the newest drop with our kicks, we may go in the latest kith gear, but guess what? When we get before Jesus, what will it be? It will be like filthy rags before him. That was like that black wool that they were selling, famous around the world that all the rich had to get some. But Jesus says, when you come before me with that, it is like being naked. You are spiritually naked. So instead, I offer you these white robes, true righteousness, true sanctification, that you will be able to be clothed in his righteousness in Christ's good deeds so that you can walk them out yourself. And then he says that they are blind. Again, the city that is known to cure blindness. Jesus says, you are blind yourself. Only Jesus has the true salve to cure our blindness. Jesus knew exactly who he was talking to and what he was saying. Every metaphor, every word, every analogy speaking directly to their culture and to those people. Everything they thought they had that they have achieved in their own arms. Jesus lays it out before them of what it truly is. It is bare, it is nothing. But what I offer you you truly want to be rid of blindness? Come, I can give you salve for your eyes. You truly want to be clothed with something beautiful? Come, I have the robes of righteousness. You want true gold and riches? Come, come get it from me. Only I have true riches. We are so used to solving our own issues with our wealth and our street smarts that we have become spiritually bankrupt. 
We take our life into our own hands. God, I must acquire this, and I must do this, and I must do that. And then we wear our achievements on our shoulders. Look at where I've come. Look at where I go. Look at what I've done for myself. And when Jesus looks at us, all the things that we wear with pride, he sees us as blind, naked, poor, and filthy. Because these are things that we have accumulated where moth will eat and rust will destroy. Things that are not eternal, things that are not precious. All that they had material had become all that they lost spiritually. Do you understand that? Everything that they had acquired, everything that they had done, everything that they had been proud of had been a symbol of what they had lost and what truly mattered. James says it this way. He says, your wealth will testify, your materials, the things that you bring will testify against you on that final day. Meaning all the things that we have done with, on our own, the things that we take pride in, the things that we have accumulated, those things will be the things that testify against us. If we come to this conclusion, like this church did, that we need nothing. The beauty of Jesus is even though he calls them putrid, even though he says that they are ready to be vomited out of his mouth, he says it is not too late. In verse 19, those whom I love, Jesus says, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It is not too late, church. For Laodicea wasn't too late when they realized their spiritual bankruptness. How do we realize that? The most often thing I see is that oftentimes our spiritual disciplines go to the wayside when we are doing well in life. When our prayer life is only ignited when we are in need, we are living from spiritual bankruptcy. When our spiritual disciplines, when God is only a slot machine, when I lost my job or someone becomes sick or things aren't going my way or life becomes hard, then I'm living in spiritual bankruptcy. See, the church of Laodicea, they had everything and they were morally, spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus says, I've come at the door and I knock. Often we become zealous after God 
when things are hard or things don't go wrong. And I don't want to condemn if you today are in a place of hardship and you have come to Jesus. This is then a cautionary tale for when things get better as they do. That our spirituality, our love, and our relationship with Jesus should not be based on our wealth, should not be based on how much materially we need, should not be based circumstantially on whether things are hard or things are easy. It should not be based on whether we feel good in the morning or we feel bad. It should not be based on whether the preaching of the worship was good on Sunday or whether it wasn't. It should not be based on whether we have a job or we don't. It should be based on one thing and one thing alone, that in Jesus and in Jesus alone do we find richness, do we find our cure. In Jesus and Jesus alone do we find a faithful Savior that in every circumstance, whether high or low, much or none, that we find that in Him and in Him alone do we have eternal blessing and worth. In him and in him alone do we find rest. In him and in him alone are promises yes and amen. In him and in him alone do I find salvation. Jesus disciplines those he loves. So if you feel like maybe you're being a little disciplined today, know that it is a sign that God loves you. And it is a sign of the believer how we respond to that discipline. As a rebellious child or as an obedient one, to come zealously and repent, Jesus says. Come zealously, passionately, and repent before him. To turn away, to confess, and to turn away from our sin. Jesus knocks at the door to share his communion table with us. I love it because he comes to our door to bring us to his house and to share communion with him. The communion that we take part in as a church to say, you are part of my broken body. You are part of my spilled blood. You are covered in my covenant, in the amen, in the true and faithful witness, in the one from the beginning. This is a call for a church in a wealthy city to repent from being consumed by their wealth and prosperity as a sign they no longer need Jesus. Many of us, when we realize our spiritual bankruptcy, we can also realize that Jesus knocks at the door and he is ready to have communion with us, to clothe us with his righteousness, to give us true riches and to spend eternity in his presence. There may be some people here that you have never committed your life to Christ. And your whole life has been running from one accolade to another, from one achievement to another, from one trying to be fulfilled to another trying to be fulfilled. Jesus stands at the door and knocks at your heart. Will you accept him for communion and follow him as Lord and Savior? 
For some of us, this is a call to repentance like the church in Laodicea. To look at what we have and not to put our faith and our hope in those things. But to say, Jesus, my faith and my hope is only in you. And I'll leave us this, this example today. I used to say in my business, when I was by, when I, I started pastoring again in my business about eight years ago, I took a two year break. And for a few years, I used to tell people, I like having my business because that's something that I did and I have control over and that I can put my name on. But with the church, you know, all credit goes to Jesus. What a dumb thing to say. God didn't tell me to get rid of my business. His correction and his discipline toward me was taking away all my money, all of my clients and everything I had. And then me going to him and saying, God, what's up? And he said, this is my business. Every client I give you is the client I give you. Every dollar that you get is a dollar I give you. So don't ever say that again. And so yes, my business has grown. Yes, it has sustained my family, but yes, it is also all God's. And if he took it away tomorrow, he takes it away tomorrow. My sustenance is not provided by my business, by my job, by my work. It is provided solely and only by Jesus. He gives and he takes, but his faithfulness does not change. So this is not a sermon to quit your job or anything like that. This is a sermon to realize that it is not your boss's name on that check that provides your sustenance. It is not your wealth in your bank account that securely holds your future. It is not your accolades that you can rest your hat on. It is solely and only Jesus Christ. And when it becomes anything else, we become like that lukewarm water, putrid spirituality, uselessness in the eyes of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you discipline those you love and that today you stand at the door and knock at many of our hearts to remember and remind us to look solely towards Christ, to look solely towards you as the author and the finisher of our faith from the one who all good things come from the one who gives and the one who takes away, from the one who we put all of our rest, all of our love with our mind, with our strength, with our soul, with all that we have in you. That any area in our life, God, that we would try to take pride in like it was not a work of your spirit, that you would correct us today and that we would focus instead ourselves on you, whether in good times or bad times, that we would know all that we have and all that we need is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, I'm going to ask that you stand as we get into worship.